Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and today is Tuesday, the 18th of June, 2013, and today we are reading from the big book. We are starting Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 30. And we will be starting with the very first paragraph there. And today's readers are 12 Steps, Meg, 12 Traditions, Anne S., and then Sally, Julie, and Paula. And the share code for yesterday, the 17th of June, is 4650. 4650. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no positions on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that, People who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Meg to please read the 12 Steps. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Meg, and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Vermont. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks, and I pass. Thank you, Meg. I will now ask Anne S. to read the 12 traditions. Uh, hi, good morning. My name is Anne, compulsive reader from Pennsylvania. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Anne. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. The meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We are starting Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 30, the first paragraph. And I will ask Sally to begin reading. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Sally. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. More about alcoholism, chapter 3. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally 
different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illness is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Again, I'm Sally from South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. And uh, to begin with, most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. It's funny, that word real. It reminds me of the movie Princess Bride where Billy Crystal says, he's only a little dead. And that's what it reminds me of. I was only a little dead. But in truth, I was really a compulsive overeater. I was really drowning in in my desire for food in the sugar, in the flour, in, in my triggers. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. And here the, the book is again harping on the, the uh, reality of our illness, our sickness, uh, that we have a mental compulsion, that we have a bodily allergy And no one likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. I would have loved it if I could have walked into one of these these, um, simple diet clubs, you know, pay my fee, get my program, go home, work it, do it, like many other things in my life that I set my mind to. No problem for other things. But when it came to this, it just didn't work. You know, I sometimes some people have heard me say that my idea of a portion, I I really... I knew that this existed, you know, half cup of this, a cup of that. But for me, a portion was when it's all gone. That was my portion size. So therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The word vain in our uh, big book dictionary says failed, unsuccessful, prideful, fruitless, futile. That now sums it up. Fruitless, futile attempts to prove that we could eat like other people or even diet like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his eating is the great obsession of every abnormal, compulsive overeater. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. It's astonishing because it's been going on since I was eight years old that I have had this persistent illusion that I could do food, that I could eat like other people, that I could eat with a nonchalance at a party, that I could just take something off of a tray like other normal eaters when that was not me. No. And many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And, you know, for for us, this really is true. I tell people... I'm a pre-diabetic. This doesn't exist. I am a registered nurse. I know pre-diabetes doesn't exist. It doesn't matter whether that word exists or not. I know for a fact I was heading for diabetes. So the fact that I stopped eating sugar and flour and the things that were triggering me toward massive obesity means that I was heading for diabetes. So it's an honest statement to say I'm pre-diabetic. That's why I don't eat that. 
because that's where I was headed. And that's all I've got. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sally. Would anyone this like to Katie comment? From Boston? This is Katie from Boston. This Go is ahead, Katie. Katie. Good Wait a morning, minute. everyone. Oh, sorry. Are there two Katies? This is yes, Katie from Boston. Katie in Virginia. All right, Katie from Boston, then Katie from Virginia. Go ahead, Katie. Good from morning, Boston. everyone. This is Katie from Boston. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I just love this chapter. It's so exciting. Um, and I'm so grateful to be here this morning with all of you. Um, I just love this part of, of the book. It talks about an obsession is a persistent and, per- and disturbing preoccupation. Like ever since I was a little girl, I had this dis- persistent and disturbing preoccupation with food. How can I get, um, like how can I eat a ton of food? Like I remember sitting there in front of the TV as a six-year-old and thinking maybe I can reach into the TV and grab the food out. Or asking my neighbor, like I was sleeping over at her house and saying to her, can you, can you steal that food for us so we can, we can, we can eat it tonight? You know, I was, and, and, and yes, it is astonishing and it, it, it helped me get to the gates of insanity or death. It was insane in college to decide to go to Malawi, Africa, because I thought that I could lose some weight. You know, I, yeah, I wanted to help others, but no, I really, like, the first thought was, boom, third world country, I can, I can lose some weight. And the things that I did to my body, like taking a bottle of laxatives because I was so afraid. I would, I believed the lie that food was going to fix it, right? And then I took that food into my, into my body and I was, and I it set up an uncontrollable craving for more. And then I was, I was plagued with the obsession, okay, now I need to be thin, so I better get rid of it. You know, and, and the emergency room doctor is saying to me, well, why did you take a bottle of laxative? You know, because they're kind of concerned that my digestive tract is going to explode. And I'm like, well, you know, they're like, are you suicidal? Yeah, I mean, I just binged out on 4,000 calories. You know, and, and I was, but I was not willing to admit that I was a real food addict. Like, I was like, I need to be able to control this. I'm, I'm smart. But I, but like, smartness had nothing to do with it. And my arrogance, my, my arrogance that, oh, well, you know, I have book knowledge. I can solve this. Um, it didn't, it, 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 it did not get me anywhere, but I had this constant disturbing preoccupation with food. How can I get the food? And it took me to some really ugly places, you know, like eating out of trash cans, eating other people's food, stealing, and, um, and thinking that, oh, well, you know, maybe if I remember looking at my best friend growing up and thinking, if I chewed like her, maybe somehow I won't crave the food like she is. Maybe I'll be thin like her. Well, the truth was she was going off to, to, to swim in, uh, at swim practice while I stayed at her house and ate all her food, you know. And um, the, the biggest lie was that this food was going to fix me, right? Like if I could just control and enjoy my eating, I would be okay. But the problem was when I was controlling it, I never enjoyed it. And when I was in, you know, it, it, I'm not going to say the other way around. But um, anyway, so I'm just really uh, grateful that I finally um, got to this part in the reading with my, with my sponsor. And she said to me, you know, am I un- was this me? Was I unwilling to admit I am a real uh, compulsive overeater? And yes, the answer was absolutely. And um, that brought me to the place where I was, I was willing to keep going with this fact-finding and fact-facing process um, that, the, you know, that to get rid of this obsession I had to, 
pick up. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. And then Katie, go ahead. Katie, are you there? Star one. Okay, sorry. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And, you know, this paragraph is is uh, is just where I lived. It's where I lived for, for decades of thinking this one sentence, the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. Um, and that's where I lived, that I would try to find the perfect diet. And once I lost, you know, some weight or, you know, I went on these diets where you were supposed to do it for a few weeks and then you took a break. And so the whole time I was on the diet, I was thinking about, you know, how when I got that break um, or there's diets where you do it on the, during the week and on the weekend, you know, that then, then I'm just going to, I'm just going to be normal. I'm just going to have a little bit. And, um, and then of course that is just the biggest vicious cycle lie and, you know, then it got to where I could not even successfully go on a diet. Um, the progressive nature of this disease for me is that, you know, <laughs> I was eating around the clock. If I was awake, I was eating. And, you know, I would have been happy if I could go on a diet. But I couldn't even do that anymore. Um, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. And, you know, the fact that I, I mean, I didn't just do that when I was 15. I did it when I was 25, when I was 26, 27, you know, for, for, for years and years and years, I kept thinking that if I did something slightly different, that it w- I was going to have different results. And, you know, it was just pure insanity. And, you know, I can have a bad day today, or I can, I don't have a whole bad day, but I can have, um, you know, difficult times. I'm, you know, trying to make some changes in my life right now, and it feels really stressful. And I think, oh, I, I, where's my recovery? I'm not, I'm not recovered at all. Then when I read this sentence, and I realize that I wake up, no matter when I wake up. I woke up at 3:30 this morning for some reason, but I didn't wake up and think, oh, I can go have ice cream because no one's up. I can go you know, make something, I can go do this, I can go do that, I can, you know, finish the binge I had last night. No, that thinking is gone. And I thought that I would never be able to cut off that monkey chatter in my head. I thought that I was doomed to a life of fighting this um, this mental torture. And you know, I'm here to say that that is over. It is over. I have worked the steps, and I've never had to go back to fighting that mental torture. And I'm just so grateful um, to read this and say, yes, that is who I was, but it is not who I am. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. And this is Monica, and I'm going to jump in here. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are today. We're starting Chapter 3, and it's titled, More About Alcoholism. Well, we could put more truth about alcoholism, and the subtitle could be, What Will Happen If You Don't Accept the Solution? 
And this whole chapter is dealing with the unmanageability of our disease. It's dealing with the mental obsessions, dealing with our minds. This chapter is mainly about people who believe the lie that they can drink while they are sober. The mental obsession. You know, this chapter is a view of the insanity of our disease. So I just thought I would put that out. And if we don't understand, if we don't get this, that we have a twofold disease with a physical aspect and a mental aspect, then we won't need to do the steps. So we've got to realize this. And, uh, you know, the obsession of my mind, the lie that it would tell me. That's what this chapter is going to be all about. All the different lies that different people were told by, the, by their disease, you know. And the, and, the, um, um, you know, and the idea that someday, somehow, someday we will be able to control this, you know. My disease would always say, well, it, it'll be different this time, Monica. Today it'll be different. You'll be able to have just one. That's the mental insanity obsession of our disease. And I will pass with that. And would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Leah. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, more about alcoholism. Obviously, this chapter is dealing with the greater aspect of our disease, the obsession of the mind. It says most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. Um, you know, addiction is different than any other illness. Uh, only in addiction does the sufferer, when given the opportunity to arrest his his illness, say, you know, maybe uh, I'm not quite ready yet or maybe it's not so bad. You know, that is the... Um, <laughs> that is the... Uh, the fight that we have in addiction, that we defy and delay and resist and are unwilling to admit we are who we really are. You know, it is the only disease known to, to man where we have no enthusiasm for recovery. You know, we are on this line every morning uh, teaching and sharing about uh, the directions that will give somebody an opportunity to arrest their illness and live a life in freedom, and yet people uh, say, I don't, re- I don't really need it right now. I mean, what other illness is like that? People who are blind accept that they are blind and cannot see. People who are crippled accept that they are crippled <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, pursues avenues uh, to help them in that way. People who have cancer accept that they have cancer and pursue treatment. People who have AIDS accept the course of treatment for that. You know, if we have a mind that says we're really not a compulsive overeater, we're really not uh, addicted to these substances, then the statement here, the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. So what the big book is starting to do here is really teach about the obsession of the mind, and it does that by using four words interchangeably uh, that all basically mean the same thing. Uh, Obsession, of course, means a disturbing preoccupation with an idea. Illusion means a mistaken or untrue belief or view of reality. 
delusion, which is coming up um, in the next paragraph, means a persistent belief in something false. And, of course, insanity means not mentally sound, can't always see the truth. So this is talking about the greater aspect of our disease, and it is not pretty. I mean, allergy of the body is a bad problem, but we've got a problem much worse than that. We've got a mental problem because this description ultimately comes down to a very simple proposition that, like it or not, my mind would persuade myself that I could be normal. That's what it is. It's not that I'm emotional deficient. It's that I may very well be emotionally deficient, but ultimately the common thread of all these things is that I would say to myself, oh, I can eat this now. You know, I'm at go weight or, or things are going to be different or I'm going to start tomorrow or really won't hurt me now. My experience would not inform me, even though I had years and decades of experience of what would happen when I would pick up a particular substance. The fact that I had been unable to eat candy or eat ice cream without getting that phenomenon of craving would at that moment seem irrelevant because right now I'm not like that anymore. I used to be like that, but right now that's not going to happen to me. Even though it happened to me <laughs> 10,000 times before, it's not going to happen to me this time. That is the illusion. That's what we tell ourselves, and that's the mental obsession. And that is the insanity that the big book is going to teach about in this chapter. You know, it's a belief in a reality that's not true. And you can live on the assumption of things that simply aren't true. You know, well, I live my life on the assumption that I could eat candy and ice cream and junk without a problem. And as humorous as that may sound to a normal person, that was not humorous to me because I was eating myself to death. Because that meant I was willing to go for death and for isolation and for deep depression and for suicidal thinking rather than go for living, for life for applying these steps and these principles. I was willing to seek the ease and comfort of the, what was in the contents of that cellophane bag rather than to live. That is the self-destruction. That's the delusion, the obsession, the insanity. And unless we get that, then we will not see the urgency of the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share comment on Nancy, this paragraph? this is Paula. Nancy and then Paula. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, a vision for you. This is Nancy, recovered compulsive reader from Lewiston, Idaho. Very grateful to be with you all in this meeting and very grateful to be starting a new chapter. I don't know what it is. Every time we start a new chapter, I get a little bit excited. And um, It's already been said that this chapter is all about step one, continuing in step one, uh, the unmanageability part of it. And you know, I like it starts off, nobody likes to admit he's a real alcoholic. And, you know, we read about the different categories of alcoholics, the manic depressive type of which most is most is least understood, the psychopaths, uh, you know, all the different categories. But then the last category it said uh, was real alcoholics. And then it listed off this whole um litany of examples of what a real alcoholic is and I remember we talked I think a whole morning about that because it was this big long paragraph and and everybody who shared could find themselves probably in more than one of the examples of a real alcoholic and I remember the doctor in the doctor's opinion the doctor saying um, telling oh gosh I can't remember the gentleman's name now but telling him alcoholics of your type 
are basically doomed. You know, he's never found any solution ever that could help, um, or that the doctor had said that um, his methods had helped many alcoholics, but those of this type, which I believe he's talking about the real alcoholics, he has never been successful ever. And so, of course, nobody wants to admit that we're real alcoholics. Who wants to admit that we are doomed, that there is no human help available to us to solve our problem. We are doomed. And I like it. I think it was Ruth in Illinois that said on one time, if we really get step one, if we really get it 100%, we will run to step two. And absolutely, if we really accept in our mind and totally um, apply it to us that there is no human aid that can help us, we're going to we are going to feel doomed and we are going to run to a power that can help us when we find out that there is a power greater than ourselves that can help us. And I, um, you know, uh, Katie, I think mentioned at the first, that, you know, the part where we were talking about, where it talks about controlling and enjoying our drinking. And she at least alluded to the first part, but I was the whole thing. When I was controlling my eating, I never controlled food. When I was enjoying my food, I was in an all-out binge. I I never, ever, ever told myself I'm going to have just one bite. I always told myself I'm going to have one binge. So I never controlled. I was always out of control. That's when I was enjoying it. And if I was enjoying it, um, it was certainly not controlling it. So I like that that's an and in there and not an or. Um, This is a really, I like again too how it talked about both aspects that we're bodily and physically ill. You know, that we have a physical allergy, but the greater aspect lies in our mind. Um, and it's it's a great a great paragraph, and it really starts to hit home again, just the, the desperate nature of our condition. And um, thank you for allowing me to share, and I hope you all have a very wonderful abstinent day. Thank you, Nancy. Paula, go ahead. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Rita. I'm going to start at the, that first line, and perhaps this is the bottom for many. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. I want to just take that word, that little word, we. That's referring to a group which she or he is one. This is the last we I wanted to be part of. But until I could come here and see who I was, I would always stay right where I am. And then it goes on. And you find yourself, as they were saying clearly, read every sentence, you'll find yourself there. I found myself in each sentence. But I want to go scoot right on down to the bottom line. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And as has been so beautifully said here, of such an ugly thing, but we chase our own death and insanity. Pursue. I chase after it. I don't run from it. Would you not run from it if there was any sanity? Would you run towards your own death and insanity? Now there, a true description of insanity. But we go on from here. But we must see clearly who we are. Does this describe us? Does this describe me? Does this describe you? Only you can answer those questions, not me. I answered them for myself as you will also. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Nancy D. 
recovered compulsive overeater? Nancy, go ahead. I feel like crying because uh, it just hits home in so many areas. Only I never fooled myself into thinking that I could do it on my own or that I housed a 500-pound body. And it's only through the recovery and the steps and my higher power that I'm that I'm sane today because I was insane with the food and I was near death physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, I went on some diets, but I never thought by myself that I could stop. I knew something was wrong. And like someone said, it's like you're chasing your own tail. It just doesn't, the insanity just grows and grows and grows as I grew and grew and grew. And it makes me sad, and yet it makes me happy because I feel like I'm at another level now of understanding how insidious this disease can be. And it's only through starting this big book study that I really start to get it. I'm really starting to get it. And I just thank everyone who shared. It's just so profound to me. And that it is a we program. And in that kind of body, it was just me and my disease and my loneliness and my isolation and all the things that it did to me. And I allowed it to do to me because I think I just kept on eating. There was no stopping. There was no stopping until I started back into the rooms again. And I've wasted many years, but, you know, I have today. And I'm hopeful today and I'm happy today. Why the tears? I don't know. Tears of joy, tears of maybe some sadness of what what my past was. But I know there's hope, and that's one thing that, that this program gives me, and that I'm not alone anymore in my isolation and my disease. So I'm just so grateful to all of you, my, my brothers and my sisters. God bless all of you. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Excuse me, can I have the phone number of the woman who just spoke now? Um, Nancy, would you like to give us your number? It's Nancy, it's 718-648-2767. It's Eastern Time, anytime. It's a safe machine. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. Okay, let's move on to the next paragraph then. Julie, will you please read? Hi, this is Julie, a recovered compulsive overeater. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. You know, there, there, there's a very small paragraph, but it says so much. Um, you know, I, I have so many things highlighted. I mean, for me, uh, fully concede, you know, what it, well, what did that mean? You know, it's to accept the truth, you know, what was valid from what was reality. And to my innermost self, I, you know, I kind of looked that up, one of my big book studies, and it was, you know, that, that core belief, the deepest part of myself, my soul, my authentic Julie. So, you know, I had to make sure that that core person accepted 
accepted that I was a compulsive overeater. And that, you know, I never wanted to do that because that meant that I couldn't fix it on my own, and um, which I tried so many times, so many diets, uh, so many, you know, bets with my parents. If I would just lose 100 pounds, I'd get $1,000. And it would be like I would get to 100 pounds and then I would go on that binge. And it was, to me, that was normal. You know, I, I got the money. Now I could revert back to who I was. Um, and uh, the next part in the paragraph where it talks about the delusion that we are like other people has to be smashed. And I just have one word written there, you know, a mirage. Because I, I think that's how I saw myself, that um, I am normal. I just, not, I'm not acting like it yet. You know, I just haven't found something that I really want to stick to. But I always thought that I would become like my sister who was not an addict where she could finish her, wouldn't even finish her dessert. She wouldn't finish her lunch because she was full. And I would look at her and say, you know, I don't have that. But I still would not want to admit that I was a compulsive overeater because when I did that, I knew I knew that my life would be forever changed. And um, I just, you know, coming back, to program to OA and to to not only read these steps, but to fill them in that space where it talks about my innermost selves. You know, I had it in my head, but you know, knowledge doesn't do anything for me. But now I feel it in that innermost self, that core, that authentic Julie. I am a compulsive overeater. I do not react the same when it comes to food, when it comes to certain things in my life, um, and uh, that last. Four words has to be smashed. What has to be smashed? That delusion that I'm like a normal person. And you know when that when that person went away, there was so much freedom in that. It was scary, but I was free. I was free. So um, yeah, it's a great paragraph. Small but powerful. I am not normal. I do not react normally. I am um, my mind, my body. My whole self, my my core, I didn't know what that meant. And now, now you know, I've been able to um, have the freedom that spiritual experience has happened where I no longer have to think that I'm going to be normal because I'll never be normal. I just don't have to act out in it anymore. You know, that obsession is gone. Um, and there is freedom in that. So thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Julie. This is Patricia Masia. Then Lois. Go ahead. Patricia and then Lois. Yes. I just want to share on that the very first two words we learned. Because until I learned that I had an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, until I learned that I had a disease, I just kept doing the same thing over and over again, expecting it to be different, trying to control it and diets and you know, like everybody else. I'm not gonna I don't need to get into all that, but I when I learned when I learned and that was so important to me to learn that I had a disease because then then I had to con- fully concede to my innermost self that you have a disease, honey. You know, I had to be real gentle with myself when I saw that. When I saw and I was so relieved that it's not my fault. Oh, my goodness. I have been beating myself up for years. You know, because I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. I couldn't stick to the diet. I couldn't stay thin. I couldn't 
stop from starting again. I couldn't do it, and I just would beat myself up. And then I learned. Then I learned. And ever since then, I have been learning about my disease and how sick I truly am and going through these steps and learning and learning and learning. And and I don't believe I'll ever get it, I, I fully learn. I don't believe I'll ever fully, I will not. I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to never, never graduate. You know how we learn and we go to school and we learn? Well, this program, I I don't want to graduate. <laughs> you know, I don't want to graduate. I want to keep learning and I want to keep on helping others. You know, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. Lois, go ahead, please. Hi, good morning. Yes, uh, there's, there's been so many um, wonderful things said this morning. And um, I, too, wanted to comment on, um, wait a minute, I lost my place about we had to fully concede to our innermost self. You know, I knew that phrase by heart. I really knew it by heart. And I kept, you know, I, I too feel, I feel that, you know, the sadness when I think about the devastation that this disease has caused in my life, you know, for so many years that it was, I, I learned, I had a very good mind, and I, I was trying to, it was like I was in behind a great big wall. You know, I, I, I was smart and I could do accomplish a lot of things in my life but I could not I learned but I could not do anything that would change the, the situation I was in it was as if I was butting my head or batting my head against a an invisible wall and I I was persistent you know I persistently conti- continued to do the same thing over and over again that that resulted in in the same effects you know the disease was taking everything away from me and for many years it took many things away from me and it affected the way i lived my life with people around me so you know this this is a devastating disease and i felt the sadness too you know about the many years that this disease had robbed me of being fully alive fully fully able to love the people in my life you know i'm very very grateful when i read this today but when i look back there there was a lot of sadness this disease will rob, continue to rob me and other, you know, recovering people until they get recovery of of the the ability to live love with others. And um, I was trying to work this program with with a mental obsession, and I didn't know that. You know, and and I kept, like I said, butting my head against the wall. And it wasn't until God came into my life, somehow or other, gave me the grace to uh, hear you know that maybe uh, there was something wrong with the way I was doing that. I was, I I didn't fully concede. I was given the grace to question, and then I reached out. You know, I reached out to people, other people who were in recovery, and and when they gave me their hand and took my hand, and showed me the way. Well, they they were able to um, once I trusted them, to um, to take my hand and and help me think about it in a different way because. They didn't. Their their obsession of the mind had been had been cleared or cured, so they were able to help me think in a different way. And God led me through the steps with people like that. And that's the miracle of the recovery. And uh, hopefully, you know, this chapter is going to help many of us understand, you know, how and when, you know, we we need to question, you know. The fully, how we fully concede and ask God's grace. Into the- <clears throat> Thank you, and I'll pass. 
Thank Aline. you, Lois. Excuse Lane. me. Rose. I heard Rose. I heard somebody before Rose. Eileen. Eileen. Rose. And one more and person. Can't. Can't. Leah. And then Leah. And then Monica. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Eileen, go ahead. It'll be Eileen okay. and then Rose. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Monica. Um, I love this paragraph. Uh, this is, I mean, I'm a food addict. Um, I love the statement where it says, uh, here I've lost my place, the delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. A delusion is a false belief. Um, I, it, it, it finally, you had to be in enough pain. Uh, someone told me the other day that I had to be enough pain to surrender. And that's where I was. Uh, and, and what Lois was just talking about, that, about uh, the consequences that she suffered when she was out there trying to do it on her own. You know, God led me to this program but I was so willful that I wanted to try one more diet, one more food that was going to do it for me, that wasn't going to make me crave. But I, I, I ended up with nothing and nowhere. But today, you know, I'm recovered and, and, or I'm in recovery and I can see these things um, and that we have to learn uh, and I had to accept, I had to learn that I needed to accept. I could admit it. When I first came into these walls, uh, I heard people sharing about that they, they would overeat because they felt bored or angry or lonely. Oh, my God, I could totally identify. But could I accept it? Could I accept that there was a solution to put down the sugar and the flour? Oh, no. I was as willful as willful can be. So whenever it takes you, however it takes you, to finally get the, the program and the 12 steps, just I have to accept that. And I, and I do today. You know, I'm living with the consequences of my disease, the struggles that I've had, the things that I've, I've learned. But anyway, I won't be too long. Other people want to share, so I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen. Rose, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. This is Rose, a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader in New York. And um, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. And the word smashed is where it's at for me. Smash means to break into pieces with violence. It means to destroy or be destroyed. And that is exactly, I mean, the words that are used in this little paragraph to um, graphically illustrate what, admitting the powerlessness is about uh, is coming straight from God through Bill Wilson. 
and to have it smashed, that is exactly the experience that was necessary for me um, to get it, to get it meaning to believe that God could restore me to sanity and to get my connection with these steps, which then, after having the delusion smashed in me, that I could find a way to live somehow as an active compulsive overeater my way, once that was smashed in a violent manner of admitting it, then, only then, was my higher power able to come in with the rest of the steps and recreate this new way of life. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Kim, go ahead. Thanks, Monica. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim J, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. We learned that we had to fully, fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. You know, and for many years in OA, I would raise my hand and I would say I was a compulsive overeater, but I didn't know what that meant. What I meant was I am fat and I don't want to be fat anymore because I believed that being a compulsive overeater meant that food and weight was my problem. And the fact is, if food was my problem, then I could have gotten the right food plan and I wouldn't have to come to OA. If weight was my problem, then the dozens of times that I lost weight, I wouldn't have needed to go to OA after that. So what does it mean to fully concede, to have that allergy of the body and that obsession of the mind? And that's what this chapter is about. We're going to read stories of four different individuals, and they're going to be sober. They're not going to be in the food. They're not going to be in the drink. But we're going to tell you what life is like when you, your only focus is to be abstinent abstinence only. If we treat this disease of compulsive overeating with abstinence only, if we just worship a food plan, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It is not sufficient. And I often get questions, well, when does the obsession get removed? Do I have to be three days abstinent? Do I have to be three weeks, three months, maybe even three years abstinent? Is that when the obsession is going to be removed? And what we're going to learn and what we're going to be taught here is abstinence has nothing to do with the obsession being removed. Abstinence will allow the allergy not to be triggered. We have to have that first in order to address the greater aspect of our disease, which is the obsession of the mind. And that is treated through the steps. So if we're not grounded in step one, we're not going to do the steps the way we need to. You might do the steps and pick up and eat a little bit and then just go back where we left off. We might do a four-step, but not fearlessly and thoroughly. We might give up some defects, but not all of them. We might do some events, but not to that rotten SOB who really deserves it. So we need to be grounded in step one. We need to understand what is a compulsive overeater. What is it? And what is life like when we think our only problem is we have to put down the food. And that's what this chapter is going to teach us. And this is when the shift came was, oh, crap, I am screwed. Because just putting the food down is going to be a torturous way of existence. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much. 
Hi, everybody. My name is Leah, Recovered Compulsive Reader. I wanted to focus on uh, two statements here. The first one, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. What does concede mean? Concede means to admit, to agree with, to accept, to acknowledge, to show, although often against one's will, that one agrees to or with something. So the big book says we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. So I had to come to that. You know, it wasn't that the big book pronounced me a compulsive overeater. In fact, uh, you know, they encouraged people uh, to go drink some more if you don't fully concede that you're an alcoholic. I had to eat my way into uh, this admission. You know, when the pain got so great that I just uh, needed to uh, find a way out of that hell, um, you know, I had to fully concede to my innermost self. The big book doesn't pronounce anyone a compulsive overeater. Uh, I had to fully concede. Why is the big book stressing this? Why is this admission so necessary? And why did the people who wrote these steps, uh, why Bill Wilson include this idea in here? You know, why do we have to take step one first? <laughs> why is it so important to take step one fully? Um, well, because if I think I have power over this disease, then I don't need to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. Unless I humble myself by taking this step and admitting I am licked, I'm done. I've tried every remedy. I've tried every method. I've been at this for years, if not decades. You know, I am, I'm licked. Because if I don't get that, then I don't uh, need to believe in a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. And if I don't believe that I don't have to turn my will and my life over to that power, and if I don't do that, well, I don't have to do steps four through nine. You know, I, and then I don't have to inventory. You know, and I don't have to do anything if I'm still God. So, of course, we have to admit that we're fully licked because that gives us the motivation and the and the desperation and the urgency to proceed through these steps you know it it all begins with step one it all begins with step one and almost powerless is useless almost powerless means i'll almost get a sponsor and i'll almost work the steps and i'll almost take this seriously and i'll almost put my recoveries number one and all that is useless it's valueless you know the almost people have been sitting here for decades It's 100% powerlessness. And it says here the delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. Why is that so important? Those are very strong words. Well, that's where um, sponsors come in and that's where recovered people come in to start teaching about this. It's important to to talk and to teach about the first step. That's what Bill learned. The first six months of Bill's... uh, sobriety when he was working with other people he constantly spoke about uh, god and he constantly spoke about principles but it, when he met with bill when with dr bob he started talking about the grave nature of this illness he started to smash dr bob's delusion he started to talk about the uh the fact that dr bob was doomed that he had a combination of two problems Allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. And that combination of two problems puts us in a vicious 
circle, and we can never, ever get out of it ourselves. And that is essential to understand. That's what the big book is emphasizing here over and over and over again, that we are people who do not accept reality. We are under delusion. We have obsessions. We have insanity. We have illusions. And unless we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity, we are doomed we are doomed to pursue this disease into the gates of insanity or death. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Ditto, ditto. And this is Monica. I'm going to jump in here. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. We learned. Now, who are these? That little we there is that first 100 recovered alcoholics. They've, they're sharing their experience with us. They know what's on the other side of that door because they've been through it. And they're sharing with us. And they're saying that we have to fully admit, concede, accept, acknowledge that we are alcoholics. And this is the first step in recovery. They're not telling us here that we have to like this or that we need to debate it. They're just saying we need to admit this. And if you can admit this, yahoo, there's step one. You're on your way. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. You know, like, like Leah said, the delusion, the false belief, the obsession, the illusion, the insanity that we are like others has to be smashed, to be smashed, to be utterly to be destroyed utterly. And so the big book here is, is, is giving me information to try to smash my false beliefs. Very important paragraph. And with that, I will pass, and we've come to the end of our time for today. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164 followed by the serenity prayer, and I will ask Paula to please read a vision for you. Thank you. This would be Paula, grateful, recovered, compulsible reader. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.